We are preaching through the book of Matthew, and we are in chapter 12. And um, we're going to read the first eight verses of this chapter. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 12, the first eight verses. We may get down to verse 14, but we may not. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn. Some Bible translations say through the grain. And his disciples were hungered and began to pluck the ears of the corn, some say grain, to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. And he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungered? And they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God and did eat the shewbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you, that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. I want to use for a subject this morning, Sabbath day breakers. You may be seated. Sabbath day breakers. We got a lot to learn this morning because the truth is religion can make someone believe and act and talk silly. Religion can drive you to do some of the most incredible foolish things. But how many know the Bible is full of wisdom and there's no foolishness in God? Serving God, loving God, honoring God. The Sabbath day is one of those days that many people have misinterpreted and misunderstood. Going to church on Saturday doesn't make you a Sabbath day keeper. Any more than you going to church on Sunday makes you a Sabbath day breaker. A Sabbath day keeper is one who takes the time every week to rest and honor and worship the Lord of the Sabbath. A Sabbath day breaker is one who takes no time during the week to honor and worship and rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. What I just said to you wraps up pretty much the intent of God's law concerning the Sabbath. We know that God created everything, and the Bible says in the account of creation in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that in chapter 2, verse 2, it says that God rested on the seventh day, which was Sabbath. Sunday is the first day, and the Sabbath is the seventh day, the last day. And we need to understand some things that are so very important in our service to Jesus Christ. It's not so much what you do on the outside. 
It's what you believe and what you serve and what you pronounce deep in the inside of your adoration to Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath day breakers. I get a little bit amused at some of the things that these Pharisees did to try to catch Jesus breaking the law. The Bible says that while they were, while Jesus was in the field, the cornfield, some say the grain field, that his disciples were hungry. And they begin to pluck the ears of corn and eat. Someone says, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, preacher. It says ears of corn. But see, if you'll do a little study, you'll discover that wheat also has ears. And so does barley. But I'm going to take the good old King James Bible and believe it's a field of corn. Ears of corn. Now, your translation may say ears of barley, ears of wheat, or field of grain. But either way, this is an incredible display of foolishness on the Pharisees, the scribes' part. Because why were they in the field? Why was the Pharisees and the scribes, why were the Pharisees out there in the field? They were spying on Jesus. Now, they're crouched down, they're hid, and they're parting the corn. And they're watching. I see folks do that sometimes in church. They're watching to see what people does. Now, it's even more hilarious if you consider that it was wheat or barley because wheat or barley only gets two to four feet high. So they had to be down on their bellies parting the grass, parting the wheat. So either way, it is foolishness because they're going to find the disciples of Jesus violating the law on the Sabbath day. Now, it wasn't wrong for them to eat of the grain because in the scriptures, God gave provision for the stranger, the homeless. And he said, when you harvest the field, you, you farmers, when you harvest the grain, if you drop something, don't pick it up. Just keep moving. Do not harvest the corners of the fields, for that is left for the stranger passing by so that he can be fed. Ruth is an example of gleaning the the fields, the corn. And so, here it wasn't wrong for them to eat the corn or the grain, but the the Pharisees are going to find him breaking four of their Sabbath laws. Uh, How could they possibly break four Sabbath laws in just picking an ear of corn, you know, eating it? How in the world? Now, you're going to find out that they had a mouthful of sin, according to the Pharisees, pardon the pun. They were eating the grain. And they were violating, as far as they were concerned, Four things on the Sabbath day. Now, once again, can you picture them two feet of wheat or two feet of barley or even corn? They're crouched down, they're looking, they're watching to see if the disciples are going to break the Sabbath. It wasn't 
that they were eating that was wrong, they were going to find out how they ate. And Lord knows, I've watched some people eat, and it's a shame. I've listened to some people eat, and they eat in 15 different dialects. We're going to have quiet chewing this morning. But there are three laws or lawbreakers in, that are here, and our computer analysis, our technician can put them up. They violated by taking the grain and eating that grain. They were violating, as far as they were concerned, the law of reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing. Those are the three or the four laws that the Pharisees accused them guilty of breaking the Sabbath. Reaping? Well, they wasn't reaping. They are just picking. We're told in the Scriptures that when you go into a vineyard, there'd be enough there for someone to pick, but they were not to put it in their basket. And my mom told me one time, she's just obeying the Scripture. She'd go down the aisle in the grocery store, she'd pick a grape put it, and eat it, and pick a grape and eat it, and she'd never put it in her basket. She said, that's just scriptural. <laughs> I'm a sojourner in a weary land. And my children can testify to that. And I said, Mom, you ain't got no scripture for that, and she'd give me some scripture for it the grapes and the wheat and so forth. But they were breaking as far as the Pharisees were concerned, as far as these leaders were concerned, that these disciples were breaking four laws, reaping, that is when they picked the corn. Then it is threshing, that is when they shucked the corn. Winnowing is when they took the corn and rubbed it in their hands, and they, and they blowed the husk out. Winnowing, winnowing, winnowing was actually uh, an Old Testament word for when they would take, they would beat the corn or beat the grain, the wheat, whatever, and then they would throw it up in there, and the wind would blow the chaff away. John the Baptist talked about that. And that's winnowing. So I guess when they took the grain and rubbed it, blowed the chaff, they were winnowing. And they were preparing their meal. They're putting it in their mouth, eating it. They were getting the dirt out, husk out, putting it in their mouth. And so they're going to charge them with four violations of breaking the Sabbath. Now, you have to admit that the Pharisees had really went to seed in their ignorance concerning the Sabbath day. But there are those that believe that you must go to church on Saturday. And they think because they go to church on Saturday, then they are Sabbath keepers. But they're not Sabbath keepers. And they think that we, if we go to church on Sunday, which is the day that Jesus arose from the grave, that the church assembled, they think we're Sabbath breakers. But all of that's far from the truth. Sabbath breakers. I, I, I had someone tell me one time, well, I keep the Sabbath. I said, you do? Yep, I keep the Sabbath. I go to church on Saturday. I keep the Sabbath. Now, we need to understand that when God talked about the Sabbath, he was talking about don't be committed to everything in your life 
seven days a week. Take one day you're committed to God alone. No work, no preparation, just time to be with God alone. Spend time with God. Now, rest assured, the Sabbath is not to the church. The Sabbath is to the Jews. And it was given to the Jews when they went across the wilderness, the desert. And God gave them the Sabbath because he didn't want distractions from them as they were making their way across because of the pagan, the heathen ways that they would be going through the different places where people were worshiping false gods. He wanted them to take one day a week to focus completely on him. And let me tell you, friends, you need to take one day a week. I don't care what day it is, but you need to take one day a week to strictly focus on God so you don't get distracted or sidetracked. You can do what you want to on Sunday. That's a beautiful thing about being a Christian. You can do anything you want to do on Sunday. But we need to remember that God takes serious our dedication to him, and he requires of us one day a week in which we will totally submit our love and our heart to the Lord of the Sabbath, who is Jesus Christ. The man who said, I am a Sabbath keeper. I said, no, you're not. You're a Sabbath breaker. If you drive your car on Saturday, you're a Sabbath breaker because you kindle a fire in your motor. If you make a pot of coffee on the Saturday, you're a Sabbath breaker. Wash your dishes on a Saturday, you're a Sabbath breaker. Take your kids to school, soccer game, band, some kind of sports event, you're a Sabbath day breaker. You go fishing, you're a Sabbath day breaker. You go invite all your friends to barbecue. You have a big barbecue at your house on Saturday, you're a Sabbath day breaker. See, we're getting realistic here. So the Bible doesn't teach that strictness. It doesn't. You're not supposed to shave on the Sabbath day. I love that law. <laughs> but my wife says, you're not going to be a Sabbath day breaker. You're going to shave. Some of you not listening to your wives. You can have company over to your house. And if your company travels more than a quarter of a mile, you're a Sabbath day breaker. Polish your shoes, you're a Sabbath day breaker. Go out to dinner and you're making others break the Sabbath. If you do it on Saturday, cooking at home, Sabbath day breaker. Did you know God takes serious that he wants our life? Numbers chapter 15, verse 32 through 36. And while the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they found him gathering sticks and brought him unto Moses and Aaron and unto all the congregation. And they put him in the ward or prison because it was not declared what should be done to him. And the Lord said unto Moses, the man shall surely be put to death and all the congregation shall, 
shall stone him with stones without the camp. Verse 36, and he died as the Lord commanded Moses. Why? Because he picked up sticks on the Sabbath. I'm sure glad the Lord has redeemed me. That I don't have to worry about, I don't have to pick up sticks on any day, but Sabbath, you know, we're not going to pick up sticks. I can if I want to, but I don't want to. Let me know what I'm talking about. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, let no man judge you in meat or drink in respect of the holy days or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath day, which are the shadow of things to come. The temple is a shadow of Jesus Christ. The altar is a shadow of Jesus Christ. The showbread is a, a, a shadow of Jesus Christ. The incense is a shadow of Jesus Christ. Tabernacle, shadow of Jesus Christ. The, the uh, mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant, shadow of Jesus Christ. Sabbath, shadow of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my Sabbath. He's my rest. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. He redeemed me from the curse of the law. He set me free to live for him. Isn't that beautiful? Because the intent of the law is very important. The intent of the law was not for man to be punished by a day of the week but rather the day of the week was to be a reward for man so that he could not be swallowed up with all the cares and the affairs of the world. He could take one day a week and honor his God without any interruptions from the world. Now you say this, well, that's a little, little strict where God says stone a guy for picking up sticks. Well, it's not him picking up sticks was the problem. The problem was he denied and rejected God's commandment. Don't do it. And the breaking the Sabbath, he was breaking his re respect for the coming Lord of the Sabbath. He was violating this, the, the law of God, and because of violating the law of God, God says you're going to die. Now, I want you to understand something. Rejecting Jesus is very serious. Playing games with Jesus is very serious. A little dab of do you with Jesus is very critically dangerous because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And why did God command to be, stoned, to be stoned to death for picking up sticks? Because we have in this generation a world full of people that's picking up sticks in their life, picking up sticks here, picking up sticks there. Insignificant, but they're so busy, they don't have time for God. They don't have time for the Bible. They don't have time for Jesus Christ. Too busy picking up sticks, and I'm here to tell you, when you're too busy to give Jesus Christ his rightful place in your life, you're doomed to disaster, you're doomed to hell. You must respond to Jesus Christ. Well, this is the kind of sermon to make you squirm. The lamb pointed to Jesus. The doves pointed to Jesus. The candlestick pointed to Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And so these Pharisees are trying to find a way to bring pain and embarrassment to Jesus. But I want to point out something to you. Jesus is standing in the harvest field. 
He's standing in the harvest field, and Jesus is asking him two questions. Have you not read about David? Have you not read in the law? And so I want you to notice something that Jesus Christ, you know, that must have really burned them up, the Pharisees. They were known for knowing the law. They were known for knowing David. And it's like Jesus saying to them, well, haven't you read? What an, what an insult. Haven't you read? That's like telling a lawyer, haven't you been to school? Or telling a doctor, haven't you been to school? Haven't you read about David? Of course they had read about David. David was their hero. Of course the Pharisees had read about David. They knew the stories of David. And so Jesus Christ tells them a story of David when David was running from Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Daniel was, uh, David was running from Saul. And while he's running from Saul, he asked the, the, the priest if he could have an instrument to fight with, a sword. And they said, well, we don't have any sword here except the sword that you killed Goliath with, David. The sword that you used to kill Goliath, we have that. And so they had it wrapped up and they gave it to David. But before they gave the sword to David, this priest by the name of, of Ahimelech, the priest, David goes to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 5. He goes to this high priest and he says, I need some food. I want some bread. Now, every week on the Sabbath, they put fresh, 12 fresh loaves of bread on the show table, show bread table. 12 loaves of bread, fresh bread, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And that fresh bread was called presence of God. And they put that fresh bread on the altar, on the a showbread table, table showbread. And then every Friday, just before Sabbath, they would bake fresh loaves, put 12 more fresh loaves on the table, and then the other 12 loaves, the priests, and only the priests were permitted to eat. And so David comes into the, into the synagogue, the place, and he says, I need something to eat. The men and I need something to eat. And he said, all we have left is this holy bread, this, this bread of the presence. And David said, well, I'll take it. And he ate the bread that belonged to the priest. What, they were say, what Jesus was saying to those Pharisees, if I've sinned, David sinned. Because this was probably on the Sabbath. He entered into the house of God, did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, verse 4, neither for them which were with him, but only for the priest. But he eat it anyway. And Jesus asked the Pharisees, have you not read about David? And, and so, of course, David went in. And Jesus is trying to explain to these Pharisees, people are more important than Sabbaths. People are more important than religion. People are more important than rules and regulations. 
Yes, it's important that we obey God, but from a heart, not from a, the letter killeth, not by constraint. And Jesus Christ put that wanter in me to serve him and to love him. And if you're a Christian, he put that wanter in you as well called the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? And so Jesus is trying to tell those Pharisees, those David and his men were more important than your rules and regulations, your law. Verse 5, have you not read in the law on the Sabbath day, the priest in the temple profaned the Sabbath and are blameless, but Notice what it says. The priest in the temple profaned the Sabbath. You say, how did they break the Sabbath in the temple? Because in Numbers 28, verse 9 and 10, the priests were supposed to kill twice two lambs. They were to, to sacrifice twice the amount. And can you imagine a priest sacrificing an animal? That's, that's hard work. That's, you know, stop and think about it. They're, they're, they're having to kill a lamb. They're having to shed its blood. They're going to have to cut it up in quarters. They're going to have to put it in. That's hard work. They worked. And Jesus Christ was saying the priests work on the Sabbath, yet they are not breaking the Sabbath because there's something more important than the priests Offering those lambs and those bullocks, it's the people that they're offering those lambs and bullocks for. Amen. Now, I'm preaching better than you're responding. And so Jesus there standing in the, in the field, the harvest field. Notice they're standing in the harvest field in verse Five, or verse six rather. But I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple. Well, where was Jesus when he said in this place? He was standing in the harvest field. He was standing in the field when he said in this place. In this place. I've come to help the stranger. I've come to help the homeless. I've come to help humanity. I've come to reach out to the lost while you twiddle your thumbs in the temple, the synagogue. I'm out here among the people, healing the blind, raising the dead, cleansing the leper. I'm here telling them that there's a good God that loves them and a good God that sent me to save them from their sin. I'm out here in the fields working and sharing the good news of Christ and I'm doing it on the Sabbath. And I do it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday. He rose again from the grave after dying on the cross of Calvary. In this place. I love that. In this place. While he's standing in this place. He's standing there in that place. And notice in verse 7, but if you have known this, what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Ye would not have condemned the guiltless. So you wouldn't have jumped to conclusion to find fault in my disciples if you know what Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 says. For I declare, I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. 
He said, if you would know the purpose of the Sabbath, you would know that it's not to hurt men, it's to help men relax and enjoy the truth and the knowledge of God. Right there's a good place to say, wow. It's true. And so Jesus standing in that field, that field of harvest. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and I'll read verse 8 first in, in Matthew 12. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. And Jesus said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. So Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. He is our Savior. When I was growing up as a young man, they had what was called the blue law. Anybody remember the blue law in Missouri? So what's the blue law? Well, it made you blue, but I didn't know. The blue law was this. You couldn't buy anything except essential things on Sunday. You couldn't walk into a Walmart. Of course, it wasn't a Walmart then, but you couldn't walk into a store and buy a gun. You couldn't walk in and buy a pick, a shovel. You couldn't go in and buy paper because you don't eat paper, but you could go in and buy a pound of hamburger. You go in and buy a drink as long as it's not alcohol because the blue law included no alcoholic beverages, no beer, no whiskey, no wine. On Sunday, it was called the blue law. You weren't allowed to buy anything except essential, medicine or food. That's it. And when I was growing up, very few people required, very few employers required you to work on Sunday. Very few. That's a few, but very few. Now, am I saying the blue law needs to come back? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that we've come a long way, baby. Amen? I like the commercial with the girl that's got that big, long, Virginia Slim cigarette. You've come a long way, baby. You sure have the wrong direction. He said, well, you're not being politically correct. No, but I'm being tobacco correct. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm just trying to say things have changed. Things have changed to the point that, man, if you permit others around you, they'll smother you out of the house of God. If you, if you permit the world around you, if you permit your, even your family if you'll permit the pleasure of this world, if you permit the things of the world, they'll smother you out of your day of rest. Amen. Come on. It's got quiet in here. Quiet as a dentist's waiting room. But let me make another statement that I made earlier because it's very important. There are people today just like I read to you about the man who was picking up sticks that was condemned to death. That, you know, that, that God was sending a signal. And that signal was, my son is very important to me. 
My son Jesus is very important to me. What he's coming to do is all important to you. And don't you spend your life picking up sticks, whatever it is. Don't spend all your life picking up sticks all your life and then finding yourself at the end of life giving no time to the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen. Going to church on Saturday doesn't make you a Sabbath day keeper. Any more than going to church on Sunday makes you a Sabbath day breaker. A Sabbath day keeper is one who takes time every week to rest and honor and worship the Lord of the Sabbath. And a Sabbath day breaker is one who takes no time picking up sticks in life during the week to, takes no time during the week to honor, to worship, and rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. God is giving us a clear signal both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, both in the phrase that Jesus Christ said, I am the Lord of the harvest. I am the Lord of the harvest. He could say in the same breath, I am the temple. And say in the same breath, I am the ark. I am the bread of life. I am the showbread. I am the incense. I am the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And I am the Sabbath. I'm your rest. Don't, don't reject me. Don't make light of me. Put me in the focus of your life. Take time in your life every week. And give it to Jesus Christ. Because you'll never be happy without him. You'll never be at rest without him. You'll never be at peace without him. Now let me begin to say, as we wrap this message up, let me begin to say, I'm not condoning that we go back to the blue law, not at all. But it wouldn't hurt us to go back to some of the deep reverence we had for church and Jesus years ago. Wouldn't hurt us to return back to some of the old paths where prayer was important, serving God was important, entering the house of the Lord was important, the preaching of God's word was all important. Because the world is disintegrating all around us because we won't put Jesus Christ first in our life. We want to tack him on. I got that covered this week. Listen, one, two, three, four. Got it, got it. Check, 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 check. Yeah, I went to check, 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 check. Listen to me. The world isn't a bunch of check, 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 check. Now I'm good to go to heaven. The world, as a Christian, you are enamored. You are in love with a person. That person is Jesus Christ, and you'll never be happy. You'll never be at rest. You'll never be at peace in your life until you put Jesus Christ every day of your week, somewhere in your week, set your heart on Jesus Christ. Somewhere in your week, set your life and your affection on the Word of God. Sometime during your week, take some time, 
because Jesus Christ is your Sabbath. Take some time. Honor him. Don't let the public school system drag you away from the things of God. Don't let the church, by the way, churches drag you away sometimes with all their activities. And, and don't let, the, don't let the, your family and your neighbors drag you away from the things of God. Remember, God's not asking much. He's just asking you to take one day a week and honor him, love him, worship him. That doesn't mean it's got to be Sunday. That doesn't mean it's got to be Saturday. That doesn't mean it's got to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. But it does mean that you have to take some time every time in your life. I would say a full day and every week you need to give completely to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You need to rest. The intent of the law wasn't to make you miserable. The Sabbath day wasn't given to us to make men miserable. The Sabbath, men was not made for the Sabbath day, but the Sabbath day was made for men. And God was given a great lesson to us that though we have no respect of any one day, we have tremendous respect for one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And do not, do not, do not let a job, do not let a, a, a system, do not let your children, do not let your family, do not let your, your activities, do not let your pleasures of life, do not let those things crowd you out from your day of rest in Jesus Christ. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And it isn't that Jesus needs it. Come on, he kicked both ends out of the grave. What does he need anything for? I mean, he conquered death out in the grave. It isn't that Jesus needs to, oh, I'm so tuckered out, I'm so wore out. The reason God rested on the seventh day wasn't because he was wore out and short-winded. The reason God rested was there's not anything more I can do to make it any more perfect. It was very good. He got the job done. How many did a job when you got done? And when God created the heavens and the earth, when he got done on the seventh day, he went. Now my people can rest. Now my people can rest. And I want you to understand with all my heart, and I reemphasize this lest someone misunderstand me. The Sabbath that was given to the Jews, it was never given to the church. And the Sabbath served a purpose to lead people to the Messiah, and Israel rejected the Messiah. I've been praying for Israel. This morning I prayed a, an hour for Israel. And I'm praying that God will preserve and protect Israel. But I prayed for the Palestinians too. You see, being being a Israel supporter, being a person who supports and has affection for Israel doesn't make us to have any less affection, any less concern for the Palestinians. Just, just so you know, I'm for Israel, but I'm not anti-Palestinians. 
And I pray that God will protect the innocent, the baby, the children. I pray that God will protect the, the suffering, the hurting, whether they're Jew or Gentile, Palestinian or Israeli. Doesn't matter to me, even Iran. I think that mess needs to be blown off the map, but that's beside the point. Now I realize I was speaking, that wasn't God. Well, God said, I'll take care of that. We're going to be preaching about that tonight. But Israel, I pray that God will preserve her. Oh, oh, he will. He doesn't need my prayers. God doesn't need my help. He's going to keep Israel. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. Israel is the apple of his eye, the pupil of his eye. You touch Israel, you touch God. Israel is in her homeland there to stay. She's not going to be moved until after the great tribulation. Jesus Christ is going to return, and she's going to turn her eyes, Israel as a nation, to Jesus, their Messiah. The Bible says in one day, Israel as a nation will be born as a nation to Jesus, the Messiah. Did you know God didn't promise the church another great revival? He hasn't promised the church another great revival. We've had our chances over and over again. But God has promised Israel a great revival, a change. And so I'm praying for Israel and I'm praying that, that she be protected. But more than that, I'm praying that Israel, whatever God's sovereign will is, whatever it takes, which it will take a great tribulation, it will take a false Messiah, an Antichrist. It will take the wrath of God. It will take much worse before it gets better. It will take that to bring Israel to her knees to see Jesus when he returns, as Zechariah says. And they see his wounded side and his pierced hands. So my main prayer this morning was, God, please reveal your Messiah. Reveal Jesus to the Israel people. Please save them. Reveal your son to Israel. I know they had their chance. And I don't believe in misplacement theology. I don't believe the church took the place of Israel any more than Israel takes the place of the church. And Israel's going to face some things, and we're going to preach about that tonight. And you don't want to miss tonight because we're going to get in some really awesome stuff. But please hear me. We're sitting right here at the next great move of God. And it's called the rapture of the church. We're going home. Now, I don't know whether Russia will come down from the north just before the rapture or just after, but Russia will come down from the north and come against Israel. And Russia will be destroyed. And I don't know whether we'll be caught up to meet Jesus in the air prior to that war or during that war or just after that war. But keep your eyes on Israel because the movement with Iran and Russia combined and now the Arabians are starting to have second thoughts. Keep your eye on Israel because when they all storm out of their places against Israel, 
God's going to be focused on Israel. And Jesus is going to focus himself on his church. We'll be taken home. Isn't that exciting? Amen. In 1945, there was a war against Israel. Israel has not lost a war since 1945. That's before she became a nation. Israel became a nation in 1948. Prior to that, Israel was not even on the map. Old maps of geographical maps of the Middle East, Israel was not even on the map. But Ezekiel said in 37, chapter 37, I'll bring those dry bones from the east from the west. I'll bring them together. Bone to his bone. And Jesus brought Israel, God brought Israel back on the map. 1948. And God said, once they've been exiled twice, they'll never be removed from their homeland ever again. So you are living in the last days. You are the last generation. You are living in the last days. Tonight, we're going to talk more about that. Tonight, we're going to talk about some of the wars that Israel went through. We're going to talk about where, where we're at if the Lord doesn't come before tonight. Amen? I'd even skip a plate of turnips if the Lord would come. Because God is sovereign. You give me a choice between turnips and being caught up in the air, no contest. I'm going up. I have to think about it, gooseberry cobbler. But anyway, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. So what does it mean by sovereign? God is sovereign. God can kill me or make me alive. God can do anything he wants to me that he wants to do. He can make me bless me or he can curse me. God can choose and do anything to me he wants to do. He's bigger than I. He's sovereign. And by the way, that's his prerogative. He can bless me. He can destroy me. But thanks be unto Jesus Christ, he came between the wrath of God and me and said, I, I want to preserve this one. And so the sovereignty of God guarantees that the end time, all the nations of the world will say, yep, yeah, there is a God. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There is a God. He's the God of Israel. And he's the savior of the church. Stand with me. I hope you enjoyed today. Now you can do anything you want to on Sunday. We're free. We're free in Christ. You can do anything you want to do. God just wants to take care of the wanter in your life. You don't, have to, you don't have to make any days better than another day, but you do have to make your Lord and Savior the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of your rest. That you've got to do. And that's why we need to understand with all of our hearts 
that when churches try to put you under legalism or under rules, that's not God. I want to put this whole church under Jesus. I'm put this whole church in the arms of Jesus. Because the church takes care of itself when Jesus is Lord over everything in the church. Amen? Now, my question, as Josh gets a song ready, are you saved? You say, I don't know what saved is. Are you going to heaven? You say, well, I don't, I don't know. I want to encourage you today. If you feel the tug of God in your heart, if you feel in your heart you need to make a decision today. Folks, we're running out of time. God is sovereign. And God can sovereignly save you today. Did you hear me? God can sovereignly save you today as he tugs on your heart. I want you to come to this altar. It's just a piece of wood. The altar is Jesus. I want you to come to Jesus. And I want you to bow at the feet of Jesus. I want you to bow at the feet of Jesus because God wants you to bow at the feet of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. And I'm going to ask you this morning, if you're not a Christian, if you're not saved, this is the worst time possible to be lost. This is the most scariest time on planet Earth to not be ready to meet God. All that's happened in the Middle East. You say, what's that got to do with me? It's got everything to do with you. Because God's watching the Middle East. And all his time clock's ticking over there. And everything that happens there is going to accumulate here. And we need to make sure that we're saved. That we're ready to go to heaven. So I'm going to invite you to come to this altar today. As the Spirit of God tugs on your heart, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar and say, My God, I know you're sovereign. Would you please save me? God, I know you're sovereign. You don't have to save me. You can destroy me. You're sovereign. And I'd like for you to come to this altar and say, I believe Jesus is my hope. I believe Jesus is my Sabbath. I believe Jesus is my Lord. And I need you to come to this altar and say, my God, would you please save me? Would you please redeem me? Because I want to live forever. And only Jesus has those keys. Altar's open. You come.